nature's taken my vision away from me. And I can't keep looking at it that way. I've got to look at it as, I've got to turn it on its head. I've got to turn it as a positive to keep going, to keep getting up and to keep moving. And to keep, like I said, doing something that I love, doing judo. Olympic Channel Podcast. That was visually impaired judoka Elliot Stewart. I'm Ed Knowles, and this is the official Olympic Channel Podcast. We find the very best people to talk about the biggest sporting talking points every single week. If you love the Olympics and the Paralympics, subscribe now wherever you find your podcasts. Olympic Channel Podcast. Elliot Stewart of Great Britain is one of the best judo players in the world and he's also visually impaired. I thought Elliot's story was absolutely incredible, so I thought I would go and pay him a visit at the British Judo Centre of Excellence in Warsaw, just outside Birmingham. Olympic Channel Podcast. So I'm here, there's a big judo mat with loads of people on it, obviously. All the British judo team are here on it. Well, except the elite men, uh, they've got a training camp somewhere else. But we've got the elite women's, uh, some youngsters, the visually impaired team as well over in the corner. And I'm gonna go and get on the mat. Go and try and find Elliot to talk me through exactly what is going on. How's it all going? Yeah, good. Basically what we're doing is we're trying to hold on to our opponents judo suit, uh, judo gi, um, move them around, use their body weight to unbalance them and try and throw them and the aim is to throw them flat on their back. Um, throw them on the side, you get a little, you get a score but less. But if you throw them on the back it's basically similar to a knockout in boxing. So you throw them on the back and you win. Alright I'll let you get on with it and uh, we can have a chat later. So as I try to get off the mat, um, I'll just explain a little bit more about Elliot, he became visually impaired over the space of nine months. It meant he lost his job and he's got three kids and he literally didn't know what he was going to do or how he was going to keep his head above water. Now, after going back into competitive judo, he's looking, well, likely to make the GB team for Tokyo 2020 and uh, hopefully they're finishing up in a minute and we're going to find somewhere a little bit quieter for a chat. How are you? You all right? I'm good, yeah, I'm good. Thank you, very good. Yeah, how's your day been? It's been good so far, yeah, good. It's been good having you around. <laughs> I've not annoyed you. <laughs> no, 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 no. Good. good. A bit of a light day today, so. You say light, it looked pretty intense now, <laughs> you know, as well. I wouldn't fancy it, you know, yeah. like it's, uh, you didn't hold back, I don't think. No, well, you can't really, that's the nature of judo. It is pretty intense. Um, it's pretty um, full out and you have to be. Um, Growing up, mm -hmm. I suppose judo was a bit of an inevitability for you, right? Yeah, I was pretty much born into judo. So the year I was born was um, 88. Not that old. <laughs> 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 it was 88, um, 1988. And that was the year that my dad actually went to the um, Seoul Olympics doing judo. And he got a bronze medal. Um, he, I was born in the February and he went to the games in the August. So yeah, pretty much born into judo. So by the time I was, then then my dad went on and started his own judo club. So then um, by the time I was three, four, I was getting on the mat and wanting to go on the mat. And by the time I was five, I was on the mat doing some judo. 
And it's not just it's your dad, Dennis. Yeah. Uh, it's also your brother, Max, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, my little brother, Max, yeah. Little brother, I say. He's bigger than me. But yeah, my little brother does judo as well. He's on the um, able-bodied team. He's um, ranked number one in under 90 kilos. So yeah, he's out in Japan at the minute, training. So yeah, so both of us are doing it. And so fast forward then, mm -hmm. uh, you um, were in Hong Kong, right? You went yeah, and spent some time there. You set up a, yeah. a, a, a gym over there, right? That's right, yeah. So I lived over there for five years. I set up a judo club over there, um, which was good. It was fun. It was, uh, it was a good life experience. And then had kids over there and then came back to the UK with two kids and had another child over here in England. And around that time when you came back, that's when things started changing with yeah, your so site? Yes, I was, I was back for um, two years. So I had, we had my youngest son, Casper, um, and then I started university. Um, first year was all fine. And towards the end of that first year, um, I went to the opticians, normal checkup, and they said that my, I needed glasses. Just thought it was just getting old, you know, like how you do. Um, and then a month after, they told me to come back for another checkup. And then um, I kept going back month after month, and my eyes kept deteriorating. Um, my vision kept deteriorating quickly. Um, so into the second year of being back from Hong Kong, into the middle of the second year, they told me I had a condition called keratoconus. And that's where my cornea is turning into um, like a cone shape. So it's coming away from my actual eye. Um, at first I said, it's okay, it's not too bad, um, but we just have to monitor it and see how it goes. Um, I tried different prescriptions and things and they'd, like, it, was quite, it was quite good the care that I was getting. And then, um, then I went to a private doctor who said that the rate that my um, eyes are deteriorating he said, within a few months, I could possibly need a corneal transplant or it could be really bad. So I had an operation called cross-linking, which stopped, hardened my, the outside of my eye, basically, to stop it from morphing and changing shape anymore, um, which was, um, it was a big operation, really. Um, it lasted like, so the op I did the operation and then recovery was um, about two weeks. Um, for one week, I couldn't open my eyes at all, so they were just closed, um, which was a hard week, a really, really hard week, um, trying to get through that. And then um, the week after that, just getting used to the vision that I, I had left, because it affected how I could see, so it changed what I could see. Um, like, I'm more sensitive to light and things and different things like that. Um, but yeah, that's basically what happened vision-wise. And how, what kind of a time space did that all happen over then? Nine months. Right. In within the nine month period, I was, I had my last, I had like two prescription changes, told I had keratoconus, and then up to where it's deteriorating too fast into like you need an operation. And I mean, I just by talking about it, I've started to get like, nervous butterflies <laughs> in my in my stomach i mean yeah. how were you how were you feeling back then um it was it was difficult it was really difficult um i had i was at the time i was working i was teaching judo in school so i was traveling from school to school um i had to stop my job because i couldn't drive anymore so that was scary because i didn't know if i could what what other work i could do or what i could do after this um 
So that was scary in that sense. It's scary, like, how bad is it going to get? Am I going to see my kids anymore? Am I going to be able to do this? Um, am I going to be able to be a dad? Am I going to be able to be a husband to my wife? So all these thoughts were going through my head. Um, so, yeah, it was scary times. It was it was rough times, actually, first um, first few months of that year. Because there was a point where, and correct me if any of these mm. things these are completely incorrect, but there was a point when... Um, you thought maybe you weren't going to be able to see again and it was only when the operation came through that option yeah that, that it be, you you've kind of saved in inverted commas the vision that you've you've got but it's not a guaranteed is it that you can that's going to carry on um so what happened was is when i first got told about my vision deteriorating and they said i might have to have a corneal transplant um corneal transplant is quite a big operation um, there's a chance that you can't, can't work and things like that was, it could go wrong. It's not 100% um, successful. So that was a big worry. Never ever a chance. I think with keratoconus, you can never ever lose your vision completely, but you can lose a lot of your vision if you let it um, progress. Um, but then, then this operation, cross-linking, that I found out about through a private doctor, they, um, was saved the vision that I had if you understand what I mean, that's where that came from. But that part, yeah, when I first knew about that, I've, my vision's gonna go, keep deteriorating until after I've cross-linking. Yeah, that was scary. That was, um, that was a bit worrying. Um, and I don't, know, I don't know how I thought at that time. I don't know, it was, all came so fast and so quickly. It's hard to pinpoint emotions and uh, like f physically how I was feeling at that point. It was all a bit of a whirlwind. Yeah, as yeah, it was very much so, very much so. Um, and I was just like trying to find out as much information as I could about what I need to do to get better. If you know what I mean. And so was everybody else. So was my wife. So was my mum and dad. So everybody around me was doing what they could to do. So for me to actually get my operation, um, my whole family, because I had to pay for it because it was private. So my whole family. Um, chipped in and put money in together because it's quite an expensive operation. So my brothers, my mum and dad, um, me and my wife, and then um, my, my wife's mum and dad, they, we all chipped in together to cover the cost of the operation. So it was, um, it was a big thing, really, for, for the whole of our family. Massive. I suppose uh, not many other people in the same situation would have something like judo to 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 mm. to rely upon in yeah, a way yeah. you know and have have that focus i think uh yeah I, how did that i've read in other places you're like judo this it was a silver lining basically yeah, being able to come back and compete so mm. take me through that process and how that how that ended up being something that um so straight after my operation when my dad explained what had happened to his colleagues that was like, well, if he still wants to do judo and bring him in and we can get him tested and we can see what his vision is and see if he actually qualifies to be on the Paralympic team. And that's how it started, really. And, that's how, and I, had, I didn't have anything. I, didn't, I, I had no job. Um, I was struggling. I, I was going to um, finish uni. I was going to quit uni because I thought I wasn't going to be able to do anything at uni. Um, so, yeah, if it wasn't for judo, I don't think I would have had that... Um, like you say, that focus into 
pushing myself and getting myself um, back on track, I suppose. Judo helped me do that. It definitely, definitely did. Um, and it's going to an environment as well where people, not have got the same condition as me, but people are visually impaired and everybody understands visually impaired people here um, because they're around them every single day. So it was going from somewhere where we didn't understand visually impaired and I was visually impaired. So our family didn't understand visually impaired people at all. And going into somewhere, coming to somewhere that's basically my job, my work, my hobby, my sport, um, where they understand exactly what I've got and what I, do, what I need to do and what my vision is. So yeah, that, I was lucky in that, those respects. It was a silver lining. Um, I lost my vision, but the silver lining is I can do the sport that I love. I can do the sport that I love and go to the place I've always wanted to go to, the, the, the Paralympic Games. It's, it's exciting, that, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, well, that's a plan, that's a plan. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's very, uh, you're almost like very poetic the way you're even saying it there. It's like, you know, <laughs> the, the thing that's caused you probably the most pain yeah. is going to make a dream come true. Mm. Yeah, and I have to look at it that way. Otherwise, if I don't look at it that way, it's too negative. It's too... It's like nature's taken my vision away from me. And I can't keep looking at it that way. I've got to look at it as... I've got to turn it on its head. I've got to turn it as positive to keep going, to keep getting up and to keep moving. And to keep, like I said, doing something that I love, doing judo. I think it's a process, isn't it, basically? Mm. It's, it's, there's one thing knowing that you... That's what you need to think. Yeah. But yeah, getting to exactly. that point is a, exactly is, a, is another thing. And to it do. took a few. It took it, it took a while, and it's still it's still sometimes today. I wake up thinking, oh, and it's it's hard work, but it, like I say, it's a process, and you keep going through that process, and you keep keep going through it. Some days are great, some days are hard, some days are tough, and like I say, because we're so close and we're such a knit team, and I've got such a close family, those days when you're down they're around you and they'll pick you up and you've got, that's where you keep going. You're lucky to have yeah. you know, your brother yeah, and your dad yeah, just exactly. slide about. Yeah, so. exactly. My brother's great. My little brother's great. He knows exactly when the days when I'm on the mat, when he's like, right, stop, or you've had enough, or you're not training properly today. Let's go. He picks me up off the ground. He keeps me going. And we do it to each other. Keeps you good because we know we want the best for each other. We know we want to push each other. To, we, want, we both want to be the best. So we know what that, what that takes as well. So... Yeah, there's no room for uh, slacking off. <laughs> <laughs> so what was the year exactly? Hang on, I'm just going to grab some water. You're very welcome to it, by the way, if you don't mind the germs. But the, um, so what year was it exactly that happened? You took up judo again in 2017, right? When that was the year that I had my operation. Right, so then you come the back. End, uh, from o the first VI event was August 2017. Okay. That was the European Championship. So how did that go? Um, my first my first event. Um, How were you feeling? Like it must be super weird because you've been like training mm. people. You've opened up your own club yeah. out in Hong Kong, which is still going. Yeah, yeah, which is amazing. <laughs> um, you know, it must be weird to be back as a competitor, and not just you, you know. Were you nervous? Um, I, I suppose it's just a different. It's the same sport, but yeah, totally it's not different. quite the same, is it? Yeah, and it's VI judo as well. VI judo is a lot different to able-bodied judo. So the difference is we start on the grip, so we have to start holding each other. And where able-bodied people, 
they don't have to start holding each other, they start off the grip. So there's a lot of grip breaking and moving and things. We can't do that. And I'm so used to that side of judo because I've been doing it all my life. Um, moving over to getting back into competitive judo, moving for the first time into VI judo, and also my first event was the European Championships. <laughs> like, it, yeah, it was... They must have thought you'd be good, though, to be for that to be the uh, right. You don't, you know, you just don't wander <laughs> into the European Championships, <laughs> no, do you? Like, no, no. They must have had some faith in you, right? Um, they did. Ability. They did. A lot of people did, and I did okay for my first event. Um, I got a fifth place at the Europeans, which is not bad. Um, it's, a, it's a place, and it was, it was achieved. I had to work hard for it, um, but I would, there was definitely, definitely a lot of um, mistakes I made due to lack of experience within the VI world, um, which was expected. Um, but being an athlete and being really competitive, I wasn't happy. <laughs> I wasn't happy. I'm still not happy this day. Um, but everyone else was happy. Um, the squad was happy, the team was happy, coaches were happy um, with my first performance. But it was, surprisingly, the only pressure on that day really was the pressure I put on myself. Everybody else, that was just they knew that it was just a warm up event they knew that I was going to make um mistakes they knew that I was going to um it was there just for experience really it's the first time I'm getting back on the mat in competitive judo for like it's the first time I've been on the mat in a competition for 3 years or something like that so yeah it was um the only pressure was from myself really so it was a strange one it was a weird competition i bet i just want to know like if i i it must feel strange doing something that you were really good at anyway, you know, but much better than the average person, you know, in, within judo. Um, and then having to switch your brain almost in two different ways, like one, like now I'm visually impaired and two, now I'm competing at like a super, like competitive level on a, on a world scale, basically. It just come with training, it come with Just little experience. by little every yeah, day. Yeah, exactly. And I didn't go from every event, every event I think I've improved, every single VI event, even to, to this day. I think I've got better and better and better. And you can actually see that within my, with my results and the people that are fighting and my um, competitors and things. So I am still improving, I'm still getting used to the VI world. Um, and I, if, I'm, if I make the Paralympics for qualifiers for the Paralympics. Um, by the time I get to the games, I should, in theory, be experienced, ready to go, know what I'm doing, at peak performance, ready to go. I suppose you must have looked at your brother and your dad and thought that that ship sailed. Yeah, I did. Yeah, I totally did. I thought, and I was, I was at peace with it as well. Like, I was like, that ship's gone, and I was happy. Like, because my brother sometimes does these things, and I was like, yeah happy for them and then like yeah and then all of a sudden I'm, <laughs> I'm back in the chair and I'm doing it and I'm, it's crazy yeah absolutely crazy no I still can't get over it sometimes still can't get over it and it's madness that it's in Tokyo like of all the, the places all the cities in the world well, Tokyo that it's Japan it's crazy it's absolutely there's one place if someone said to me you're going to the Paralympic Games where would you want it to be held it'd be there <laughs> it would be there. It's, it's it's incredible. Like for judo, and for the sport as a whole, um, it's going to be immense. It's going to be crazy. And the the games after that is in Paris, which is 
the second biggest <laughs> country for judo. See, this is, you probably have it after, don't you? To be honest. <laughs> They're trying to make stay. They said, you can go to Paris as well. And I was like, no. And then when I heard it was in Paris, I was like, maybe. <laughs> for anyone who doesn't know, like, the Paris Grand Slam is huge, huge. in judo. Just as big as, like, the, as the games. It's, it's massive. massive. Yeah, it's and, massive. and when Teddy Riner steps oh. out in that, he was injured the year I went, and he just like, sort of gave a, a, wave. a wave. And that everyone went absolutely wild. It was like loads of people had come from all over the yeah, world, from like great. America, from Japan, and then of course all the people competing as well yeah. from Georgia and everywhere you know yeah. like in the, it's uh, such an incredible event it's such an incredible it's, and it's great for judo and and that 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 feeling that you got in that arena when and when people like teddy step out and they get they get that um that reception and all those people are so into judo that is that's the spirit of judo that there is what you do judo for just to go to a place like that and just to watch judo and to um just to be in that atmosphere it's immense. So, it's, um, you know, coming up to a year to go, Tokyo mm -hmm. 2020. Yeah. You know, what is the kind of pathway to Tokyo 2020 from here to, from here now to yeah. getting on the plane? Oh, um, so, like I said, I've done the World Championships as the first qualifier. The second qualifier is um, in Azerbaijan. Um, and then from then on, we got the world and the Europeans this year. And then um, we got one final event in Uzbekistan. And that's for 2019. And then we've got two more events next year. And out of all those events, depending on, you've got to be ranked in the top 12 mm. in my way. So if you're ranked in the top 12 in the world, you qualify for the Paralympic Games. So fingers crossed, if I keep doing what I'm doing and I keep um, getting the results that I'm getting, um, I'm currently ranked number three in the world, so stay where I am or go any higher. Fingers crossed. That's um, yeah. You've got a I'm bit going. of wiggle room there. Yeah, <laughs> a little bit. I was thinking on the way here. Um, there's a famous ex judoka Ronda Rousey, yeah. who's gone on to uh, Hollywood fame. Yeah. <laughs> also in the WWE at the mm, moment. That's right. I was thinking, mate. You know. <laughs> Just saying, <laughs> if you need a tag team, <laughs> yeah. be happy we'll to provide the. Uh... Well, and you've got your brother as well, mate. I've got it all mapped you out. <laughs> anyway, I'm really excited about following you on your journey, mm. and uh, it's been cracking being here for the day. And Great. just like, thanks you very much for inviting yeah. me in. Thank you for having me. It's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Great. Olympic Channel Podcast. Big thanks to Elliot. You can follow him on at Elliot Judo on Twitter. That's E-L-L-I-O-T-J-U-D-O. -L -L it's also probably worth giving British Judo a follow if you're interested in keeping up to date with how he gets on in competition. They are just British Judo on Twitter. I am at Eddie Knowles with an I and E on socials if you want to follow me. Now, we've made a little video of Elliot for our social channels and I put links in the episode description for all the various ones in various places. It would be awesome if you see those, if you gave it a share on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram or a like. Tag us as well on Olympic Channel if you are doing your own native posts. That would be really great too. If you did like this week's episode, then 
I suggest that you have a listen to one of the most successful Paralympians from the British team of all time, David Weir. He opened up about how he never really came to terms with his disability. Here's a clip. This is the end result. This is you on the floor, collapsed, crying, emotionally drained and don't know what to do with your life. There's also a link for that one in the episode description. If you have enjoyed this week's episode, or indeed any episode, it would be amazing if you gave us a five-star review and put a little quote or something that you like from that particular episode in the review. It really does help, needless to say. Okay, that's it for now. See you soon. Think like an Olympian. Olympian.